For those of you who didn't hear, I am Logan. Um, I'm actually one of seven, so I got a big family that is out here awesome today, and good to see them all. But uh, today I wanted to do my lesson on the mark of a disciple. And so what I mean by that is uh, I was thinking about what a disciple looks like and what defines them as a person. And beyond the sense of doctrine and all that stuff, but what sets them apart? And I think a lot of the times we can understand what a disciple means. We can look at their qualities of serving, loving, doing all these things and being all these things, but we forget what those things mean. And so what I wanted to talk about today is I wanted to take a step further the qualities of a disciple. And I wanted to bring to light, I think, one of the most hidden qualities of disciple and yet one of the most important. And so as I was thinking of these qualities, the first one that came to mind was service. Um, obviously, Jesus came to serve, but not to be served. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, like, yeah, service is something that, whether you're a Christian or not, it's something that you do in life. You serve people. You, you love people. You care for people. But I found, especially being one of seven, is that service comes when it's convenient. That service is really easy to do when it's a good point for you, when it's a good time for you. But it's really hard in those unwanting moments. In those moments where you come home from work and you've done nothing but be busy all day and you're like, all right, I can just sit down and then somebody asks you for just one small little favor. Those moments where you just get comfy in bed and your brother's like, hey, can you get me a glass of water? And you're like, do I pretend to be asleep? Do I get up and get him the water? I've had that many a time. Um, I contemplate being a disciple in those moments. But it's, it's these moments that I think is when it's hard to serve. And I think the problem is, is when we hit these moments where it's hard to serve, we hit this bitter heart. And this bitter heart that starts to think of, well, what do you do for me? This bitter heart of, how much does this really matter? Does this person even really care? Does this person ever even reciprocate? Why should I? Sometimes I do something serving, and I'm thinking in my back of my head, and like, what does this person do for me? Some of the times I serve people who I feel like more often judge me for serving them than love me for serving them. Mm -hmm. And they get these moments where I'm like, why should I care? Why should I even bother? Mm -hmm. And I came across something, and it's in Matthew 25. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But to give you context in this verse, Jesus is talking as if he's talking to people at the end of time. He's separating heaven and hell from those who are going northbound and those who are going south. And right here he says, Then he will come to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes, or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And see, I think this is our misconception with serving. Is often our view of serving others is that we're serving to get something back. That if I serve you, I deserve something back. I deserve your love. I deserve to get it returned to me. And that's when we get these better hearts, where we think that when we serve, somebody is in somehow indebted to us in some form of another. But in reality, we're the ones 
in debt. We're the ones who owe something, not the ones who are to be owed. And I think if we were all sitting here and Jesus were to walk in and say, hey, can I borrow your jacket real quick? You'd have no problem giving him your jacket. You'd say, here's my shirt also. If he asked you, hey, I'm a little hungry. Can you get me something to eat? You'd be like, dude, where are we going? I'm all on me, all you can eat. And yet, if another one of our friends or our family members or an acquaintance just asks for a small little favor, we can get a bitter heart. And what's interesting about this is Jesus doesn't call us to serve somebody because, you know what, they so much deserve it. This call to service is a way to repay what service God has already done for us. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever sacrificed a son to a cross for a relationship. I don't know about you, but I don't think I've waited a millennia just for somebody to have the opportunity to have a relationship with me. I don't know about you, but I know I owe God quite a bit. And so it's the least I can do to repay those around me. And so when you're looking at those faces that sometimes annoy you, can sometimes be the worst things to hear, I want you to think to yourself, if it were Jesus asking you that question right then and there, would you even hesitate? Would you even stop and consider twice? And I can guarantee you, you probably wouldn't. So why are you hesitating now? Why are you keeping a record of how many things you've done for somebody else and how little they've done for you? We are so lucky that God does not do the same. So why do we? But you know, I don't think service is the only thing that is an important quality of a disciple. You know, when I think of a disciple, I think of somebody who has a relationship with God. I think of somebody who cries out to God, somebody who comes to God. So I want to turn to a passage very similar, same exact thing. Jesus is talking about the ends of times and where people are going to go. And he says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I think... This, more than anything, would be the hardest thing to hear. Because unlike anything else you could hear at the end of the times, I think the hardest thing to hear is that Jesus never knew you. And sometimes I think we can get caught up in doing things for God that we forget to know God. We can get caught up in doing good things. We can get caught up in going to church. We can get caught up in reading our Bible. We can get caught up in meeting with people. We can do things because we feel like we should or we should have to. But we forget that the whole point of this entire story is about having a relationship with God. Talking to Him. Hearing from Him. Living with Him. You know, there's a song that I love, and some of you probably know it. I hope most of you know it. But it's called Cats in the Cradle. Mm -hmm. And it's a very hard song to listen to. And for those of you who don't know, the song is about a dad who's always busy and he's working and when he does, he misses all the steps in his son's life. He misses the first time he walks. He misses the first time he learns how to throw a ball. He misses all these important steps. And then later in his life, when he finally has time for his son, he finds his son is too busy for him. And I can listen to that song a hundred times and every time it always gets me. Because that is the hardest thing to hear is that somebody's too busy 
for you. And every time you listen to that song, I can think of like, well, if you were the father, why would you not just make time for your son? Or vice versa. And I can guarantee you if you ask that father, what he would tell you is, I am doing this for my son. I'm working because I'm trying to provide for him. I'm doing all these things because I want to him to have a good life. But sometimes we can get caught up in doing something good that we forget about the relationship. And when I hear this passage, what I hear from Jesus is that same feeling. If you were so caught up in all these things that you never took the time to have a relationship. And we can do that with God and we can do that with other people. So I implore you. I know it's the American way to always be busy, always be productive, always making the most money, always trying to succeed. But if you don't stop and pay attention to God, to the relationships around you, you're going to miss it. And you're going to wake up one day with that time in your hands and realize you don't have those relationships. You're not as close as you really thought. And I would not want that wake-up call to be at the end of times. But you know, as much as having a relationship with God is one of the most important qualities of a disciple, I think there's a hidden one. I think there's one that defines every disciple that you'll ever see in the Bible, every important person who did anything great in the, in the Bible. So, what does it take to be a disciple? Well, let's look at the 12. God's chosen 12 to start his ministry. Let's look at their qualities. Peter had a big problem with his mouth and was often in contradiction. Andrew, quiet and stayed behind the scenes. James and John called the sons of thunder because they were hot-headed and ambitious. Philip was skeptical and negative. Nathaniel, opinionated. Matthew was one of the most hated people in Capernaum. Thomas was melancholy and pessimistic. James, Alphaeus, and Judas, son of James, were pretty much never even mentioned. Simon was a zealot and a freedom fighter, and Judas, a thief and a betrayer. And if you're looking at that list, what I'm wondering here is, why do you choose these guys? What possible quality could they have? These are the nobodies of history. For God's sake, he chose fishermen. If you can name me another fisherman from 2,000 years ago, I will give you props. Because I surely cannot. So why, oh why, if you're Jesus and you're starting your ministry, if you're going to pick the pillars of the Bible, why these guys? And it, it baffled me for a second. Because I'm like, okay, some of these things I can relate to. I could be a son of thunder. I could be <laughs> aggressive and ambitious. I could do a lot of stupid things. But why... Why are these guys the ones that we remember? And you know, they have, a, they have a quality that you'll never see written on paper. They have a quality that you'll never get to fully see or written in black and white. But it is the most important quality and is what makes them who they are. But I think it's best described in a passage in Isaiah. And to give you a little context, basically, God's looking at a problem here. And he's, he doesn't know who he can send to do it. And so here Isaiah is, and here's his response. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And you know, I love this passage because I can guarantee you if you've ever read it, you probably went right by it. You probably never gave it a second thought. You thought of it as a transitional sentence because it kind of is. 
But it is this quality, this hidden quality that appears in this one little sentence, this sentence that says, here am I, send me. So the quality all these disciples had is that they were willing. That no matter how unwise, no matter where they were, no matter what history they had, each and every last one of them was willing. Willing to give up what came before. Willing to admit they were wrong. Willing to be put in tough situations. Willing to die. Willing to follow. And so it's this little phrase, this here I am, send me, that stood out to me so much. Because if I was God and I was looking at our world, I would see a multitude of problems. I'd see a multitude of people hurting. I'd see a multitude of people who just need help. And if I was God, I'd be saying, who can I send? Who can solve this? And you know what? I imagine that there's a stadium, there's a crowd bigger than anything who is cheering God on and like, yeah, you can do this. And as soon as God says, well, who should I send? They all sit down and they're quiet. Like, is, is he going to go? Is it that guy? <laughs> Surely not me. I don't want to go. But I'm happy to root for you. So how many people are actually going to sit there and be like, you know what? Here I am. Send me. So I don't know about you, but I'm sick of sitting on the bench and watching all these things suffer. I'm sick of sitting on the bench and watching people's lives go by. I'm sick of sitting around and doing nothing. So the question of whether or not you want to be a true disciple, the question of whether or not you want to move mountains in your life is not a matter of how much you know, not about how wise you can be, not about how good you can look, not about how smart you can be. But it's a measure of how willing you are to let God move you. You know, when I first got baptized and I first was taking on this disciple thing, I spent the first year or two just learning what it is to be a disciple, learning how to go about that, what that means. And I'm still learning, but I heard so many people around me were like, oh, I want to be this, I want to do that. And I'm like, I'm not sure what I want to be, what I want to do, or what I can be for God. At first I was like, okay, maybe I can try to be really wise and let me understand the scriptures, or maybe I can do all these things. But when I came across this passage, I realized all I had to do was be someone who was willing. I had no idea where God would lead me, no idea where he will send me, but I knew the prayer I was going to start praying was, here I am, send me. Because that is what God means. And never did I imagine it would be an intern or a teen minister or a campus intern, whatever you want to call it, but here I am being sent a couple of years later. And it's cool because I can see this prayer come into reality. Because I see God who built me into the tool that he needed for the job, and then he sent me. And I can guarantee you this isn't where I'm meant to be permanently. You'll build me into something else, and you'll send me a different direction. And I don't know what that might mean or what it will be, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going to be willing. Because that's what it takes to be a great character of the Bible. Because if you look at any of them, none of them meet the qualities you would look for. If you look at Moses, he was hated by Israelites and the Egyptians. 
He was an outcast. And he was even said himself that I am bad at public speaking. Why the heck would you pick me to lead a nation? You look at David, the smallest kid of some farmer. And you're like, you want that guy to be king? This nobody who that when they asked to bring his family to a banquet, he doesn't even think to bring his last son. That's the guy you want to be king? Because God doesn't look for any quality. He doesn't look for any biblical knowledge. He looks for a willing heart. Because that's what he needs. So if I can leave you with one thing today, is that when you're praying, when you're looking in your life, you're looking where you want to be, just pray to be willing to be sent where he needs you. Because that is so many different positions. It can be just a helpful friend. It can be a guy giving a sermon. It can be a guy reaching out. But all I know is it just takes a willing heart. So here I am, send me. Thank you guys. That's the end of my list.